Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today is Mrs. Margaret Hirsch, who is the COO of Hirsch's Home Stores, which together with her husband, Alan, she co-founded in 1979, 38 years ago. By 2012, the company had turnover of over 1 billion rand. Today, it is a national footprint in South Africa as the leading independent chain of mega appliance and home furnishing stores, with at last count 17 branches and concept stores. Additionally, Margaret Hirsch has received numerous business awards, such as the 2016 Top Businesswoman, the 2015 Most Influential Woman in Wholesale and Retail for the African Continent. She has been inducted into the Global Women Leaders Hall of Fame in 2014, to name just a few of her accolades. And she is also known for her philanthropic work. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure, and we're particularly interested in understanding more about your successes in the entrepreneur space as a businesswoman, as a leader in society, and as well as the philanthropic work that you've done. To begin with, you are the COO, Chief Operating Officer of Hirsch's Home Stores, which started as a wife and, and husband duo with, I believe it was just a 900 rand investment and one store. Mm-hmm. to become almost 40 years later a multi-chain setup with a turnover well over a billion rand. Right. That's an impressive achievement. Can you please share with us a few of the landmarks in this journey of entrepreneurship as well as family business? Okay, well, it started. our family business started um, more by accident than anything else because in 1976, after being married for five years, I felt pregnant and my boss fired me straight away. And in those days, there's no CCMA, so you couldn't do anything. So I just had to take my handbag and go home. And then that's how I started my own business. Um, I was a short typist, and I was typing in the morning 25 cents a sheet, and the men would fetch it in the afternoon, and other men would bring their typing in the afternoon, and I would type it in the night, and they'd fetch it the next morning. At the same time, that was 1973, 74, 75, 76, was when Alan J. Hellman started Game, Dion Friedner started Dion's, Tony Factor was big in Joburg. And my husband, who was a refrigeration mechanic, said to his boss, why don't we start discounting appliances? And his boss said to him, if you're so clever, why don't you go and do it? So he did. So we went from having two jobs and no children to having two children and no job in the space of one year, which is a great catalyst to get you going. And that's basically how our business started, just for the two of us, and off we went. And uh, we worked very, very hard, and our business started to grow and grow. And we just, in those days, we just did repairs. And then we started selling appliances, and so it went. When it came to 1994, if you want a really big um, mark in our lives, um, we didn't know what was going to happen to the country. So what we, I said to my husband, we've got so many fantastic people working for us, and I'm just worried that something's going to happen and they won't have a job. So what we did is we started them all in their own companies. So we sold our trucks to our drivers, and um, we, they, we started them in their own business. We sold our buckies to our technicians and started them in their own business. We sold, um, we, we organized all our um, installers, our DSTV installers, our gas installers, our electricians, our plumbers, and we started them all in their own businesses. 
And today they're all thriving businesses and they all still work under our umbrella. So although we've done well, there's lots and lots of other businesses that have done exceptionally well. And my biggest, biggest joy was when one of the first men that I sold his truck to and started his own business, where his son had gone to university and qualified and couldn't find a job, he came into his father's business. He's taken it up to new heights and he's really, really doing well. So that to me is was my biggest joy to see that these men who would have, he said, my son would never have had a job or he would have been joined the 600,000 qualified people with degrees who don't have jobs in South Africa. But because I could offer him something, my son now has a job. And he said to me, this is my greatest joy. So I think that was a really, really big catalyst in our lives. And then um, I think the, the next big turnaround for us was in 2000 when I went to Joburg. I'd never been to Joburg in my life. I was 50 years old. I had been to the airport, I'd been to one function at Sandton City, but I didn't know Joburg. And we just took the plunge and decided to go to Joburg. And that really took our business to new heights. And then I think the third thing after that was in 2012 when I won Business Women South Africa. Um, it was, for me, it was, it was really a milestone because I was up against really fantastic women who I thought were, you know, streets ahead of me. I was a toaster sales lady from Devon North. And I won, and it was just amazing. And from then, I knew that in that year, I would do something fantastic, that I would leave a legacy. And that's when I discovered the Girls with Dignity program, where I started making reusable sanitary pads with my friend Sue Barnes in Durban here. And I still take them out into the schools. I try and do one school a week. Um, and get them out there to, so that girls who normally would not go to school can go to school and can pass the exams and can have a decent life. So I think those are really the big milestones in my life. And um, every time something really challenging came up, it turned into something really good, which turned, turned my life into a, a much more positive force for good. That's a fantastic success story, and definitely those are elements that we're going to delve into in the conversation in a little bit more detail. I think initially having that outsource vision of, in 1994 of being able to help other entrepreneurs become thriving businessmen or businesswomen in their own right is fantastic. And one of the questions when I was looking at the history of Hirsch's, that there really seemed to be a, a catalyst which was happening in that period, uh, 1998, that's where you see on the timeline big changes, but I'm sure those developments started well behind the scenes, as you mentioned in 1994, because you went on to start opening stores. First it was every four years, then every two years, and now it's almost one every single year there's a new store that comes up. And I also noted that in 1998, that was when your children, Richard and Lucy, joined the family business. So I wondered if that was coincidental or a happenstance. I think it just it was, it was a catalyst then because both my children went overseas. My son worked in London. He worked for an American company called The Gap in London. So he learned retailing um, in a different, whole different aspect, but he could see the whole side of it. My daughter worked in Sugar Bowl, California, and uh, she also went to England, then came back to South Africa. Yes, and they did both decide to join the family business. We didn't push them into it. They decided to do it. But then it gave us much more freedom. And in fact, I wouldn't be able to be talking to you now if my son wasn't running the business. And I think this is where a lot of people, when they're dealing with entrepreneurs, they don't realize when you're an entrepreneur, you have to be working in your business every minute of the day because when you're not working, you're not earning. And at least now I have the, you know, the, the freedom of mind that I can go and do something else and help other people. And what I do is I love starting new businesses. That's what my absolute passion is. So I go out and I work with other entrepreneurs starting new businesses, but knowing that my children now are running my business and my business will continue to go stronger. 
and that it's in completely competent hands that you have full confidence in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We've chatted a bit about the expansion strategy from a South African perspective. Are there any plans to go further into the continent beyond South Africa's borders? Um, not at the moment, but, you know, as I say, my son is MD now, so goodness knows what he might do. But, uh, you know, for me, I think South Africa is a, it's a big country. It's a growing country. It's a country of wealth and opportunity. I love this country. I've um, lived and worked in England and the USA and in Australia. And I can tell you that I, I live in this country and I choose to grow my business in this country because I believe in this country. I, I honestly believe that we are just where everything's going to happen. We're the breadbasket of the world. And we, we're a country where we've got such um, rich minerals and such beautiful people. So for me, I'd like to stay in South Africa. I do work with Lionesses of Africa in Africa, helping entrepreneurs um, with my friend Melanie Hawken, who is the um, CEO of of Lionesses of Africa. And we take the entrepreneurs from around Africa and we help them. We're the catalyst that gets the beaders from Hillcrest and the handbag maker from Kenya and the um, lady in Rwanda making the jewelry. And we we help them to get their products to the lucrative markets of the UK, the USA, and Europe and bring the money back into the country because so often that money goes out and never comes back into the country. We bring that money in dollars and euros back into the country and we help them. So I do work around Africa as well, but um, my focus is South Africa. I think this is where it's at. And there's so many people in this country that need just that, that leg up to get their businesses going. And through Hirsch is what I do is I have a ladies group we meet once a month in all the stores. And I take the people out of corporate who have a, an idea of what they want to do with the business and I marry it with the action that needs to be taken to grow that business. I say I'm like the womb where we, the, the egg of the firm come together and I'm the womb where we grow that business until it can be born. From that stage, I work with Standard Bank Incubator where we incubate the businesses up and now we've done so well with Standard Bank Accelerator where we accelerate them. And I'm very happy to tell you that one of my first ladies who started with me two years ago has recently sold her business to Liberty for an undisclosed number of millions. That is a wonderful success story. Another one, not just within your your own right, but what you're doing and and touching other people's lives. And key things that you mentioned there, it's the value chain going end to end, making sure that we actually become the beneficiaries as a country and not just exporting goods and losing out on the revenue. So we've got that full cycle. Then, very importantly, is the mentorship component and the connections, because often you can have all the right ingredients, but if things aren't connected in the correct order or the right way, those levers are just not going to be pulled in the appropriate direction. That's right. Yeah, I think it's very important that you, you know, as we as, as people who are doing well in South Africa, that we mentor the people who are coming up through the ranks. If you speak to somebody who wants to start a business, the first thing they say is, where can I get a loan? And I say that's the very last thing you should be wanting. The last thing you want is a loan because as soon as you have a loan, if you take a loan, the minute you start making money, then what's the very first thing you've got to do? You've got to pay that loan back. So you feel that you've worked really hard, you're getting somewhere, but you've got no money because you're paying all the money back. So I advise them not to do that. And the woman that I work with, I work with a woman called Marianne Wundler, and um, she was Nelson Mandela's chef when he was in power. And um, we take women out of the council who have absolutely no education, and we teach them to cook. And we specialize, and our speciality is African funerals. So, um, you know, when an African person dies, the bereaved people um, don't, they can't do anything, and people come from far and wide, and we, um, we cook the food for them, 
and we look after them, and then it culminates in a massive funeral on a Saturday. And these women now have all had businesses, and last year I had 800 women through my school, and each one of them has a business, and each one of them is earning money and can feed their children and can look after themselves. So for me, and I do that right across with lots and lots of different industries, um, from chocolatiers to bakers to ladies who run um, hire-out maids, I have lots and lots of businesses that I start off and get them going. But I make sure that whoever I teach, they then in turn teach other people to run a business and to have a successful business. Financial independence is absolutely critical for women's empowerment. And clearly entrepreneurship is one of those routes to independence and one which you have embraced wholeheartedly and are able to give back in terms of the future generations that they have sustainable businesses. But to you go. See, once, once you, sorry, if I can just say, once you've taught the mother, the mother in turn, if she has a good work ethic and has a business and the children see her working hard and saving and plowing the money back into the business and investing that money and growing it, they will do the same. If they see their mother drinking and smoking and, you know, wasting money on rubbish, they will do the same. So that's why I think it's always so important to teach the women to, to do something that's really good, something sustainable. And if there's food in the house, you know, if, if a person's got a full stomach, their brain will work. If they've got an empty stomach, their brain cannot work. And for, for children to see their mothers doing this, they will continue and they will become good, sustainable citizens in the future. A hundred percent. And arguably, your mother is your first role model. And if uh, you oh, can yeah. continue to have firm, sustainable, robust role models around you, then that obviously leads to... Uh, significant influence going into the future mm-hmm. you mentioned one tip don't take a loan have you yeah. got any other tips that you can share for our aspiring entrepreneurs well I think the biggest thing that our battle with you when know, working with entrepreneurs is they love to sleep and it drives me insane because every time I look what are we doing now we're sleeping what are we going to do in the weekend I'm going to sleep now should I tell you something that I sleep on approximately on a, if I'm a busy, a busy week I sleep two hours a night and if I'm a normal week, I sleep four hours a night. Now, this is astounding for most people, but if you t- I tell people I'm 66 years old. If I've slept eight hours a night like you do, I've been asleep for 22 years of my life. How successful would I be? And the answer is not as successful as I was because I've been working while other people are sleeping. So the first thing I say is, and you obviously can't go from having, you know, eight hours sleep, which you used to, down to four hours straight away, but you can wean yourself off sleeping a little bit at a time, or sleep a little bit less every night, but you've got to take that time to do something more, um, better for you. So what I start people doing is I get up at four o'clock in the morning, and I get up and I have a drink of water, and I just get myself towards myself. And then I meditate, and I think meditating is very important. And how I equate meditating is, imagine how dirty you'd been if you hadn't washed your body since you were born. And, um, and then I say to people, if you haven't meditated, that's how dirty your mind is. It's full of all sorts of rubbish, and you've got to clean it out, and you clean it out by meditating. So um, I meditate, and I clean my mind, and I refresh my mind so I start the day fresh. And then I go to gym, so I do some exercise because a lot of people are very sedentary. They just come and they sit all day and they sit in their motor car and they sit at night and watch television and lie in bed. They don't do anything. So I think it's very important to get that balance and that you do something. And then I go to work and I work exceptionally hard. I make my desk at 7 o'clock every morning until approximately 7 o'clock at night. And then I go home, I shower and change, and then I work with my suppliers. So I do have a social life because my suppliers 
Um, I, I work with them on, the, on a social basis so that they, I get to know them, they get to know me. And then when I come home at 10 o'clock, I do my emails from about 10 o'clock until just after midnight. And I still study. I'm one of the few people you know who's got a student card and a pensioner's card. So I'm still studying, and I'm at business school now, and studying all the new modern techniques for modern business, because uh, robotics is the new industry that we're going into. So I'm studying robotics so that I can get my business into the next um, millennium. I think those are fantastic insights, and I'm just going to repeat them quickly. So we have got one, don't take a loan, because that's one thing you're going to be paying off as you start your business. With interest. With interest. <laughs> Two, cut down on the sleeping hours, because every second counts. And as an entrepreneur, you've got to be hungry. You've got to be out there working in the time that other people are sleeping. Thirdly, being conscious about taking care of your brain meditation, clean the gunk out. Fourthly, physical activity, because we lead very sedentary lives and get out there, get energized and get the body working in preparation for the day. Fifth, buckle down for some hard work, seven to seven. After that, don't forget the socializing component to feed the spirit and get engaging with the suppliers that you do. And lastly, to end the day, it's about studying, that uh, lifelong learning should be a philosophy that is embraced because our world is changing 24-7. Great tips. Today, we're talking to entrepreneur Mrs. Margaret Hirsch, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Hirsch's Home Stores. Hi, my name is Yvonne Chakachaka, and I'm UNICEF and Roll Back Malaria Goodwill Ambassador. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in the struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, and democracy, a program against social ills such as racism, socio-economic class division, and gender-based violence. Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amalia Bauka every week on this day at this time. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective, on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band, also available on DSTV Channel 802. Today, we're talking to entrepreneur Mrs. Margaret Hirsch, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Hirsch's Home Stores. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. In the previous segment of the show, we spoke about three of the key driving factors which have been catalysts for change in Hirsch's from 1994 when Hirsch's started to create more of an entrepreneurial spirit, for example, selling trucks to the drivers, selling buckies to the tradesmen. In 2000, moving into Johannesburg, Gauteng, to start with a new line of stores. And in 2012, when Margaret Hirsch won a Businesswoman of the Year in South Africa, and one of the key initiatives that she launched was the Girls in Dignity program. We also spoke about some of the tips in terms of what an entrepreneur should aspire to have. Now, going back into the conversation from before, Education is a priority for this show to empower girls and women with knowledge. You mentioned yourself that it's lifelong learning and that as a business you're moving into study from an AI and robotics perspective. 
One of the projects that you have on the go is Girls with Dignity, which is aimed at purchasing thousands of panty packs and sanitary pads to hand out to girls in underprivileged areas so they can attend school full-time. Can you please tell us more about this project and how it's progressing? Yeah, it's going very, very well. Um, as I said, I work with my friend Sue Barnes, who is a fashion designer by profession but um, has now left um, the fashion industry to make these full-time. We um, make this, um, one pair of panties in the pack and then three pads, one on, one off, one in the wash, and we take them out to the schools. But what we do when we get to the schools is we talk to the girls and we explain to them about their bodies. A lot of them have absolutely no idea how their bodies work and what's going to happen to them. So we explain to them about their bodies and we try and, and um, impress upon them that they should should be celibate until they get married, which we struggle with. But um, you know, just to give the, the girls some idea, because you've got to understand, they come from homes where the, the, their own parents have no ideas of the proper values in life. So um, they're not told, you know, you shouldn't do this, and they just go ahead and then they end up with babies themselves. I just spoke at a school in Tembisa where in grade eight, three of the girls, could, they can bring their babies to school with them while they are breastfeeding. And just to see these children who are children themselves, these babies, was just horrendous. And I think if we can just stop that happening. So we explain to them about what happens to them, what happens to their bodies, and um, give them some insight into uh, planning their lives because we do the, the vision boarding and, you know, planning your life and what you want from your life. And I think when we do that, we just have such success with the girls. One, they can go to school every day because otherwise if they don't have the pay, they just don't go to school, which means they don't write the exams, which means their marks are poor, which and the boys' marks are better, so then they get given the wrong impression that they're more stupid than the boys and then they don't want to go to school and then they start messing about. And it's just a downhill spiral where we give them the pads, they can go to school, their marks are higher, their self-esteem comes up, and with that they start to feel stronger in themselves and then they don't feel that they're going to be dependent on these boys and they get ahead like that. So we have tremendous success with our Girls with Dignity program. And the reality is that if a girl is out of school during her period, it works out to, I'd say, almost 25%, so a quarter of the year that she's not attending school. How can you ever catch up from each year of being out a quarter of the year? It's crazy. Yes, absolutely. So now we, we're trying to make sure that those girls do go to school every single day. And with that, their marks go up, they can write the exams, they pass their exams, and it gives them more, you know yourself, if you have failed your exams, you don't want to go and write again. Whereas if you're passing, you're doing well, you've got that incentive to go and write again. So that's what we do, and it works tremendously well. And keeping on the theme of women, our program, Womanity, Women in Unity, is all about gender equality, which is increasingly becoming more and more a global focus. Mm-hmm. And as that global focus has happened, there's obviously been significant inroads in terms of the, the rights that women have been afforded, whether that is equal pay for work of equal value, as well as legal rights. Yeah. But there's still areas that need more attention. Can yeah. you tell us what areas you think still need more attention? I think basically with women, um, they, they, if we just have to build their self-esteem up. You know, I've got a lady who worked with me, and when I met her, she was living under a bridge with three children, and she had no self-esteem. And I brought her in, and we sorted the children out. We got her in, and I taught her she'd never seen a computer. She couldn't type or anything like that. Um, and I went through everything with her, and I taught her what to do and how to work in the workplace. And I think the work ethic is is 
is what we've got to really work on. Let me just give you, for instance, I was sitting in my branch and I'm longer, and this beautiful girl walks in and she says to me, I want a job. And I just said to her, you know, you're not going to get a job going on like that. And she sat down, she burst into tears, and she said to me, you know, I've been looking for a job for two years. I know that I'm good. I know I'm a fantastic person, but nobody will give me a job. And I looked at her, and she had this a sort of crop top on and low-slung jeans, and I said to her, you've got to understand that nobody will give you a, a job looking like that. I said, why did you dress like that to come for a job? And she said, well, because I want to look like Beyonce, and this is what she looks like. And I said, well, Beyonce's not looking for a job in an office. You're never going to get one looking like that. So she was very crestfallen, and she was walking home, and she looked up, and her neighbor worked for SA Airways, and she saw these brand-new uniforms hanging on the line. So she knocked on the door of her neighbor's house, and she said, where are your old uniforms? And she said, they're in the box under my bed. She said, well, can I have them? She said, yes, you can. And she came in the next day dressed completely in the SAA uniform, and she said, I'm here for the job. And so I said to her, okay, what can you do? She said, I can't do anything. I don't want to do anything. I just want the job. So I said, what is your perception of a job? She said, well, a job is somewhere you, you get dressed nice every day, you go there, and you get free tea and often lunch, and then you get, at the end of the month, they give you money. And she had absolutely no idea that she had to work and produce goods for her money. And I think if we can just get that work ethic into to women, that you actually have to work for your money, um, I think it's going to be a lot because a lot of them just think that they just have to attend. Well, I am. I'm sitting here with lost for words, <laughs> to be quite honest. <laughs> but can you believe that a person? She was she was matriculated. She was 20 years old, and she had no idea that she actually had to produce anything as as part of her work. She just thought that with somebody you, you went, you attended, you got money. So I think if we just get that work ethic into the mm. schools and if we can teach them from the schools to universities that this is what you have to do and you've got to produce a return on your investment. If you you want your boss to invest a salary in you, what are you going to give him? Totally. And I, I do hope that that program makes its way into your, your Girls with Dignity project mm. as well so that they, they know what, what to expect mm. and actually mm. what life expects out of them. Mm. Mm. And that's what I teach. I teach life skills because, you know, it's... it's at school, they teach you reading, writing, and arithmetic. They don't tell you when you go to the world, this is what's going to happen to you. And how my whole journey started is my father died when I was 10, and I saw my mother thrown into a world where she couldn't cope, and she was immediately swindled out of the insurance money. She had no money, and she had no way of supporting herself. And I just said to myself in those days, this will never happen to me, and that's why I've been a strong woman and looked after myself my whole life, because I never wanted to be in that position. And that's actually sort of the direction that I wanted to ask you. It's one of the questions that I ask all of my guests on the show who've made tremendous achievements in their respective fields of expertise. It's about some of the factors that they consider have contributed to their success. So clearly looking at where your mom was and you saying to yourself, I am never going to be here, that was one of the catalysts and drivers for change. But if, if you could tell us you know, a little bit more in terms of what have been some of the key drivers to your success? Well, I think, you know, when you start and you're a little bit successful, it just helps you to want to be more successful. And then when you can do something and you can teach somebody else to do that thing, you know, and the old Zig Ziglar, the late great Zig Ziglar said, you can have whatever you want in life if you help enough people to get what they want. And I think that's what it's all about. If we help other people to get what they want, you, they immediately will grow and they'll push you up and you'll get to where you want to be. And that, that's what's happened to me in my life. So I think I've just helped a lot of people to get to where they want to be. 
and I've just got to where I want to be. So at the moment, I have everything that I want in my life. And, um, you know, I say in life, you start by you've got to learn. You've got to learn all about it. Then you start to earn because you have to earn your money. I can't tell you how to do it if I can't do it. But now I'm at a stage of my life where I'm at the return stage, where I'm returning um, what I know back into the community to help others to, to be able to earn and, and to learn. So it's learn, earn, return. Great rhyme. Can you share with us some of the pivotal moments in your life growing up and what influenced you in those years? Well, I think growing up without a father is a great thing, and a lot of children today are growing up without a father. And those of you who saw my um, post, my Father's Day post on Facebook said, you know, I didn't have a father, but I knew I always had my Heavenly Father who was there with me every minute of every day, which makes a huge difference. Um, I also looked at my mother, and there are lots of other, I mean, if you've ever heard Peggy Sue Kamalo talk, Peggy Sue Kamalo was on the South Africa, I think, in 1996. And she um, was, you know, her mother, she was born in Newcastle in KZN, and her mother went to work in Springs as a domestic worker, and she stayed with her granny. And when she matriculated, she went to work with her mother as a domestic worker, and she said one day, she, two years in, she just looked at her mother and said, I don't want to become this person. And I, do, I know that there's more to this in my life. And she did what I did. I started my um, working career as a, a working as a hairdresser, washing hair in a hairdressing salon. And Peggy Sukumalo went and she knocked on every door until she got a job. And the only job she got was washing hair in a hairdressing salon. So she started like that and, and then she went from strength to strength. And the story she tells is um, when she was in the finals of Miss South Africa, and her mother was working, still as a domestic worker, and her friend brought her in. And she said as she walked out in her big ball gown, she looked up and she saw her mother standing in her little three-piece uniform. And she said, Mom, I'm doing this for you, so that other people will not have to go through what you've gone through. And I think as women today in South Africa, we are, are, are progressing and we're doing so much more because we don't want to land up where our mothers have landed up. And I think, to be honest, parents always want their children to do more and have more than what they had in the past. Absolutely. So I mean, I want my children to have more than I've had, and, and I've taught them to, to aspire to want to have more than I've had as well. And I also think, you know, sometimes there's a tendency for people to think that that's wrong, and I'm, I'm definitely not a supporter of that, because I think if you believe in wealth, if you believe in success, you grow it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, it's the old-fashioned way was you shouldn't have wealth and abundance, but the new modern way is there's wealth and abundance out there. If you don't have it, somebody else will, so why not you? Very apt. What would be the best life lesson that you've learned thus far? I think that, that um, you know, the difference between a winner and a loser is the winner is the one who just keeps going. The loser is the one who gives up, and you can never give up. Life's going to throw you all sorts of obstacles in your way, and you just have to get over them. I mean, when I look back in 1988, we were doing extremely well. We bought our own house. We paid for it. We paid for our cars, and everything was going swimmingly. And um, somebody said, oh, you've got to get a good middle management. So we listened to somebody else, which you should never do. And we went and we bought a company that was um, very similar to ours. It was going very, very well. And we had two million rand in the bank. In those days, it was a fortune. And the guy wanted two million rand for his business, so we bought it. And the day that I bought it, he released three million rand with a check. So I went from having two million rand in the bank to three million rand in overdraft in one afternoon. So most people would give up at that stage, but we couldn't give up because we had nowhere else to go. So we just had to carry on, and we carried on, and we became stronger. And I think when life throws you some really hard um, knocks, 
those are there to make you stronger. And if you can just get over them, you'll always move on and get to where you want to be. That's an incredibly important lesson, both from a finance perspective, but also about perseverance and keeping going. Mm-hmm. We've chatted about the past, the present, and mm-hmm. the near future. Can you tell us what's next for you? What milestones do you still want to achieve? Well, we're still growing our company. We're very, very lucky in an industry where our industry at the moment is 13% down year on year. We are um, about 10% up year on year. So we, we, we break an industry norm. We do incredibly well with what we do. We work incredibly hard at our job every single day of the year. We work with our staff to grow them to be the best that they can be and to make sure that their lives improve. And for me, as I said to you, I'm just so passionate about South Africa. I love South Africa. And I think if we can just get, uh, for me, as I said, uh, the young entrepreneurs coming up through the ranks are going to come up and they're going to break through. um, And I said this before, and Helen Zimmer said, not all politicians are looking after their own interests, but we've got this um, cream of politicians sitting on top. And if the young entrepreneurs, the burgeoning entrepreneurs, can come up and break through those politicians who are feathering their own nest, and can do something and make this country great, I think that we live in the greatest country in the world. And I think if we all just work together, we'll make it great and we'll just have a great life. And that's what I'm aiming for. I'm aiming to help as many entrepreneurs to grow as much as I can so we can make this a wonderful country to be in. You are such a passionate citizen of South Africa and also a a proponent of believing in where our country can go and its potential. Lastly, as we close out the conversation, can you please share a few words of inspiration which you'd like to pass on to girls, young women, or even older women in the continent who are listening to us? Well, I think as a woman today, they always say if you educate a woman, you educate the whole family. So it's very, very important for us to be educated, number one. But number two, you don't have to leave everything just to be educated. I honestly believe that when you finish school, you should start working and you should start uh, teaching yourself in in the evening. And one of the ladies who was my businesswoman of the year in KZN, Vina Govinder, she was um, widowed when her little boy was four and she didn't have any qualifications. She went on to become a CA. And while she worked, she didn't like being a CA. She now is an engineer, and she teaches women to be engineers. So, you know, you can work and you can study and you can improve yourself. And life is about continuous, never-ending improvement. And that's what we must aim at. If every one of us does well, our whole country will do well. And as a mother, Teresa said, if we all sweep our own doorsteps, the whole world will be clean. And that's what we've got to work. Each one of us has put in as much as we possibly can, and together we'll make this country great. Thank you very much. Uh, That's such a vital message about responsible citizenship, that whatever we put out for ourselves, it has an impact on the rest of society. We really appreciate you sharing stories of not just about your own experiences, but also the stories about some of the other women whose lives you've touched and the successes that they've had. So it's been a pleasure having you on our show. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. I look forward to speaking to you again. Uh, Thanks. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to entrepreneur Mrs. Margaret Hirsch, Chief Operating Officer of Hirsch's Home Stores. 